Right, welcome back to Range Anxiety. Who doesn't like riding their bicycle? Just don't ride them anywhere near me. Here's your 30 years of tuning experience in 30 minutes. And yep, we're in the Telstra Model 3 performance this morning doing a bit of a drive along because I thought I had to get in early uh, on this midweek show to talk about something that happened and things that are going to be happening in the uh, future. Yesterday, and this is nothing to do with the push bike riders. I've had my tirades about them before. Uh, not on air, but, you know, everyone's entitled to use the road, I suppose. And it's not for me to be judge, jury, and executor on the matter. However, there I was sitting yesterday, minding my own business in peak hour traffic at the lights, enjoying a nice bit of uh, music and relaxation time. In fact, I was talking to my mother on the phone, like a good son on the way home from work. And I was parked stationary at the lights, and some drongo, I think I referred to him as a flog, on Facebook decided to lane split. Now, lane splitting, I don't know how it works around the rest of the world, but apparently it's your God-given right and quite legal in our neck of the woods, South Australia, to jam your motorcycle up two lanes and, you know, split cars and go to the very front of the queue, which is fine because, you know, in most instances, motorcycles accelerate away fairly, fairly well and they don't hold up traffic too much. However, you need to use that little cashew sized thing between your ears um, when you're on a bike, on a motorcycle, and uh, make sure that you don't slam into cars going way too fast and being way too stupid. So there I am sitting there and some drongo comes flying past me and crack into my passenger side mirror. So I wasn't suitably impressed that, you know, this idiot on a shitbox bike wasn't a good bike. Now before I go any further here, I actually want to say to you that um, I have the utmost respect for those that can ride motorcycles properly and fast. I've got a license, I can ride any bike on the road. I choose not to because I'm pretty hopeless at it. You know, a good man's got to know his limitations, as Dirty Harry said, and, and one of my limitations is chucking my leg over a, a litre crotch rocket or even the smaller ones these days and being able to use it to any sensible effect. I can do it. In an emergency, I can do it, and I can ride okay, but I know I'm not good enough to harness these things. So very quick, and they require a lot of skill. And more than that, they require a lot of practice, which I simply don't have on them. So yeah, hats off to those that can ride. I've got a lot of good mates that are good riders. I can ride a little bit, but would I class, class, yeah, classify myself as a rider? Absolutely not. Would I classify this nitwit that ran into me as a rider? I would say I wouldn't classify him as one either. So normally when you have a bit of a road accident, the first thing you do in Australia, for my American listeners, is you'll sort of look at each other and say, oh shit, sorry, and then pull over and assess damage and talk about insurance companies and you know whatever else. <clears throat> Maybe even shake hands and get on with it if there's no damage. This guy didn't want any of that. In fact, he pulled right across the front. This is how stupid this idiot was. Here I am in 500 horsepower of you know 1,850 kilogram highly flammable batteries on wheels that takes off like a missile and he puts himself directly he comes right across in front of me right in front of the front camera and puts himself between me and the car in front of me and starts abusing the living shit out of me apparently even though i was stationary and in my lane i didn't leave him enough room to 
execute his stupid road manoeuvre. So he was quite heated with me, and I was getting heated back with him. Uh, you couldn't, I, I put the video up on Facebook where you couldn't actually hear the Tesla cam doesn't uh, take the audio, thankfully, because it wasn't very pleasant. Um, and of course, I hadn't hung up from my mother at this stage, so she was having a nervous breakdown, wondering what the hell was going on and why her son's vocabulary had all suddenly extended to less than <coughs> pleasant levels, you might say. So yeah, it was a bit of a heated exchange, but I thought, well, I'm, I, you know, I've got an insurance company, I don't give a shit, really. It was just unfortunate and stupid. And because I had him on Tesla cam, it's just a matter of me giving the video to my insurance company. It's got his rego number on it. It's got the entire accident recorded. See you later, Jackoff. Um, however, he wanted a massive argument with me. And to the point where it was get out of the car time. Now, he's very, 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 very lucky that I don't give too much of a shit. And I'm a bit older and I realise what can go wrong when you do stupid things at traffic lights with people. You never know who it is and everyone's filming it and every, you end up on the news, you end up with, you know, possibly charges. It's just stupid, right? But he put himself between me and the next car. And if I was a hothead and I just decided to punch a throttle, that was the end of him, right? He was that stupid. He didn't even realise the position of danger that he put himself in. You know, and again, that's no slight against motorcycle riders in general. Most of them are pretty cool. You know, when I ride around my little schemati, you know, I ride little bikes, you know, I I'm, I'm tend to be try and be pretty safe. Being bright orange, people can see it coming a mile away, so that's not a problem. But we're going to get more and more of this going on, not just the road rage, but people on motorcycles, not all of them experienced or you know, really qualified to use them. So the reason I say this is because fuel prices are going through the roof. And one thing bikes are really, really good at is using very little fuel for a given power output because and a given speed because they simply weigh nothing. So there's going to be more and more drongos on bikes that don't know how to ride. They're going to be performing these stupid manoeuvres and in some instances being aggressive about it because they feel that they're more exposed. You know, when you're in a car, you're in your own little private world, really, aren't you? When you're on a motorbike, you're a bit more vulnerable. So you tend to, I believe, you tend to get a bit more aggressive to any intrusion into your personal space on the road, even though in this instance, it was all his fault. So yeah, that's one for everyone to look out for. Um, you know, as fuel prices go through the roof and people try and save money, uh, they will transit to motorcycles and not in all cases will they be able to control them properly at all. Let's do a bit of autopilot. Ah, there we go. Thank you, Telstra. Um, right. So you've got to be careful of them. I mean, the big appeal with motorcycles back in the day was they, they were the only things that were fast. I mean, really fast. I mean faster than any car you could ever buy or to autopilot disengage because there's a truck pulling out in front of me, bit of emergency braking going on. Yeah, I mean, trucks give way to them, they're not a motorcycle, do not tangle with them. In fact, do not tangle with anybody on the road. But once upon a time, bikes were fast and it was the only way you could get going really, really quickly. And yeah, I understand that. And the actual thrill of punching the throttle on one of these things, especially a big engine device, it's spooky fast and it's spooky scary. But no more do they have that advantage of being the fastest things on the road. Now this guy, I'm not sure what he was riding, I was all too excited at the time to have an epic argument with some cockhead. 
excuse the language, mum, if you're listening. Um, it was something like a 650 high song or something like that. So it wasn't super duper fast. It was quick enough. But once upon a time, they could abuse you and you sprint off into the distance. Not anymore. You know, I'm sitting in a car that will out accelerate him to 100 and would out accelerate him to 200. And they don't realise this. They think they own the road because they're the fastest things, the fastest things on it. But that isn't really the case anymore. It's more of like you should be treating other people on the road with respect. See, every bit is quick. They can accelerate every bit as hard, and they can stop every bit as fast. You know, and yeah, certainly I can anyway. And then you get guys like you get cars like you know. Sorry to harp on about it, but the plaid that's about to come here. Look, we got a Scooby Dooby next to us. Listen to that. Boxer Rumble, I love it. He's looking at me like I want to race him. No, I don't race on the street. That's all right. I appreciate the fact you've still got head gaskets. That's very pleasant. Um, you know, you have cars like the Plaid that will outrun any superbike up to, you know, 250 kilometres an hour where the speed limiter hits on the Plaid. You know, it's early guises. Oh, God, now I'm next to this Scooby at the lights. And you know what he's going to want to do. Hopefully he's smarter than that. Yeah, so the advantage of bikes, apart from being fuel efficient now, is really long gone. And, you know, I've, I've had some, like I said, I've got some mates that are experienced on bikes and do very, very well on them. And I've got some mates that are not so experienced on bikes. And one of them had a nasty accident the other day where he hit a car and, you know, hurt himself quite severely. So <clears throat> while I love big bikes, I think that we've all got to use our heads when it comes to them, you know. And they're talking about banning things like plats because they're so fast. What about leader bikes where they're basically every bit as fast and you're 10 times more exposed and probably a thousand times more likely to get injured on? So yeah, I know they're tightening the rules here for bike riders, but you know, let's all be careful and let's be smart. Note the guy in the Scooby was smart enough to know that batteries are greater than sign crack cars. Oh, and it's just starting to rain. How beautiful. Big, heavy raindrops in Adelaide. Oh, well, looks like the car's going to have to get a wash at some stage. Sunny Jim. Yep, it's quite heavy. You can probably hear it now. Just out of nowhere, that little that little bit came. Let's hope it dries up before it gets too noisy in here. So, yeah, and bikes don't break that well either. I mean, they do. I mean, they stop. Don't worry about that. And they've got killer brakes on them. But uh, they just have a very little rubber patch to go through and that kind of makes it very difficult for them as well. So let's not, oh, how do I turn wipers on this thing again? Oh yeah, there you go, look. Just one, well, one button, one button, there you go. Um, yeah, so let's go on to the next thing. Let's talk about brakes. Now there's a lot of consternation that I see in my feed. You know, my feed on the internet is probably different to yours. It's mainly about electric cars and performance cars and comparisons and all of this sort of thing. And there's a lot of consternation. I do like that little Scooby rumble, actually. I must admit, I'm a little bit partial to it. Listen to that rain. That's incredible, isn't it? I'm sure you can hear it over the mic in this ride along. First time I've ever done one in the wet. But the Plaid is copping a lot of flack about its braking performance. You know, they've underdone the brakes, the brakes aren't good enough for the car, yada, yada, yada. And look, it would seem from some of the testing I've seen that the brakes are well good enough for the car. This is not a track car. This is not a supercar. This is not a McLaren Senna. This is not a top of the line McLaren. It's a muscle car. And traditionally, muscle cars never had anything like brakes in them. 
if you're old enough to remember some of the great racing from GT Production. It used to be called Greek Group E, then it went to GT Production or GT Performance in Australia, where we used to have to run showroom cars. I always remember there were the 911 RSCSs back then, 993s, that were very well braked but not extremely powerful up against the, the Vipers, the Gen 1 Vipers or Gen 2 Vipers of the time. And, yeah, like, the racing was intense because the Vipers would kill them down the straight, then they'd just run out of brakes. And, you know, I think it was Rusty French or someone like that driving them, you know, some great old touring car name. But there were some good names driving the Vipers. But their whole race was about managing the relative performance of the brakes and not cooking them. So it made for some really interesting racing where... You know, cars all sort of ended up about the same, but some had massive strength and some had massive weaknesses, and that was typical of American cars at the time. They were just overpowered and underbraked, and in that instance, the Plaid is absolutely no different at all. It seems to be perfectly braked for road situations and drag strip situations, but when you start swinging, what is it? 2.1 to 2.2 ton around on the track with a conventional iron rotor and a six-pot caliper, I don't think there's going to be really any car that's going to have enough brake for that. Let me explain. I used to do a little bit of car racing, and the very first thing you do on any mid-priced car... Now, there are cars out there with brakes that are track-suitable. Anything in the half-a-million-dollar-plus zone... You know, your GT2 RSs, your GT3s, your McLarens, your, you know, Lamborghinis, whatever, are going to have brakes that are going to work. And they will probably, depending on the track, never give you anything like a moment's worth of fade or any trouble at all. But your mid-spec cars, like your Evos, you know, your STIs, your, your Telstra Model 3 Performances, um... Oh, God, let me think. Pretty much anything, really. Your GDRs, R35 GDRs, were hopelessly underbraked for a racetrack standard. Give me one of those, and within three laps of pretty much any track anywhere in the world, or at least the ones in Australia that I've raced on, I can have the pedal on the floor and no brakes left and smoke pissing off them. Because, you know, the whole adage is you're either flat on the throttle or flat on the brakes, and maybe a little bit of coast in a big, heavy, understeery car. So yeah, there is not really any car where the brakes are actually up to it on the track that is sensible money. So the very first upgrade you do is on brakes, right? Doesn't matter, even a Toyota 86 that I used to race that was relatively stock, the very first upgrade we did was brakes because there is nothing that'll make you slower than not being able to pull the car up. You know, you can feel the brake pedal going away. So those people that run off the track are doing it for YouTube clicks or just simply because they're idiots. So I was watching a video, I think it was on Inside EVs, of a plaid spearing off the track. They said Tesla crashes at 150 mile per hour, possible brake fault. That was the clickbait. So I'm there, oh yeah, shit, I better have a look at this. And I was an experienced driver from the States, Sashi, you can drive a Tesla, all right. And uh, he didn't crash it at all. He just went spearing off the track in a couple of different areas. Oh, look, I've got a road router next to me. Poo shovel? Yes, and rooftop tent. Rooftop tent and poo shovel. That is the ultimate combination. 
So yeah, he went spearing off the track and I thought I'll watch this to see if he slams it into a fence or something or if the pedal just went away from him for no reason or whatever. No. He basically lost it through a couple of, he, did, he came off the track twice. He actually lost it through a couple of tight sort of change of direction, transition sort of corners where it didn't even look like he was much on the brakes, but it looked like the rear, it looked like he threw the rear away in the car and traction control was on. I mean, if you drive fast enough, you're gonna throw the car away regardless when everything gets warm. Yeah, and he just sort of looped it and he was pretty calm about it. He was looking out the side window to see what he was gonna hit. He hit nothing. All he did is like cover the thing in mud and shit and bury you know, stones in between. I love that when you bury stones in between the lip of the tire and the rim. And you know, he didn't do this poor white plaid, my exact color combination, mind you. He didn't do it any favors, you know, chucking it off the road, but he didn't do any damage to it either. So it was hardly a crash. But you know, clickbait being what it is, Telstra crashes at 150 mile per hour twice. Well, you're gonna crash it twice. The first one obviously wasn't too bad and the second one wasn't too bad either. It's the same sort of antics that we see at any track day with any sort of driver when they're having a red hot crack at it. So for that reason, um, I probably won't be taking my plan on the track till I've done something to the brakes. Now, I don't want to spend, I probably won't have 20 grand to put a decent braking set up on it. You know, carbon ceramic rotors and, you know, bigger calipers and, you know, higher strength higher temperature resistant, you know, set of pageants or Brembo pads or whatever. I won't be doing that because I'm simply not that interested in circuit work anymore. Plans a show ride, and, you know, because I'm cynical, immature and have the basic brain function of a 12 year old, I'll be doing uh, just those things with it. So I'll be going back to using our old water injection system that we pioneered or some mates of mine, k &A Engineering did back in the day where we simply use a wash bottle and a pump and some metal nozzles. And we don't spray the caliper and we don't spray uh, the outside of the rotor or the disc. We actually go into the inside and spray from the inside out a very fine mist of water that turns almost instantly into steam and has great cooling properties straight into the middle of the rotor and it pumps out via natural convection or the or the physics of the way the air moves inside the rotor vanes pumps to the outside and can reduce brake temperatures in the testing that we did by well, a couple of hundred degrees, you know, it will give you those extra couple of laps. And, you know, because it's all happening so fast and the, air, the water is turning to steam and we're only using a very, very fine mist of it, it doesn't cause any cracking and Plaid doesn't have uh, drilled rotors anyway, which are terrible things for cracking, mark my words. If you want crack, don't go to your local dealer, uh, get your drilled discs on your car and you'll have more crack than you can deal with and more bills than you can do with to deal with too. So I might do that to it if, if I decide to get a bit funny about it and I know it works well and that'll give me the braking performance that I need. In the plaid, because of its weight distribution, I'll have to do not only fronts, but probably rears as well. You know, fronts get the hardest workout due to the weight transfer, but like a lot of mid-engined or 50-50 style cars, the rear brakes cop a beating as well. You know, I remember when we first started taking Lamborghinis to the racetrack, it was like, well, we're wearing the rear brake pads as fast, if not faster than the fronts. Where with something like an R35 GDR, you wear the fronts at two to one to the rears, you know, which is a, a pretty rapid kind of a, 
a wear rate, uh, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, they're my plans for the brakes, but I'm just sick of all the clickbaitery on these cars, like, you know, double crash at 150 mile an hour. Well, for a start, it didn't even look, it was in kilometres an hour, it was in the metric system, it didn't even look like it was doing 150 mile an hour, it might have been. I only saw like 220 kilometres an hour, so say 136 or 135 mile per hour. It wasn't that exciting. It was just like your average numpty at a track day, the sort of, sort of thing that we all do plenty of, but we don't certainly don't make headlines on worldwide uh, websites. Hmm. On to other news. Well, there is plenty of it. Um, it seems like there is going to be no slowing down of the COVID appreciation in cars. And for that reason, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, go and see the wonderful team at the City Motor Group at Mile End to get stung on the last of the stingers. And remember, don't ask for Julian because he's too busy with me bagging a Streco. Yes, so big news this week in South Australia is that the Adelaide Rally is on. Now, I've tuned a couple of, I reckon, the two cars that will be front runners in this because they're both experienced. They've both won it before, and they both know the roads really, really well because they live here and they get a chance to drive on them all of the time, the closed road tarmac stages. Surely there could be a wild card, but mm, I don't think so. So the fight is between Benny Calder from Calder Wealth Management and Streco from Streckrec. We have one Audi TT RS, which is a beautiful, tight little tarmac package not overly powered sensibly powered sensibly done with the roaring five cylinder nice suspension brilliant navigator it's got my old mate steve glennie in the seat next to ben so together we've got a pair of good drivers and one very good navigator in the same car so you know notes make all the difference when they're getting called to you at high speed and we got streco with his son navigating who's coming along fairly well as a nav in a highly powered uh, GDR, uh, both running, well, I think, no, Ben's not running E85, he's running like a motorsport, a conventional unleaded. is running the E85, and I think it's gonna be a straight fight between these two for the line. Um, at this stage, I wanna go out on a limb because Streco hasn't had the luck of gods with him. Uh, the last couple of times he's been in this event, I know his car's fairly reliable now, I'm tipping that Streco might actually win this. He's going to win it or bin it. Uh, Julian's very convinced that he's going to self-level, i.e. start very fast and finish very slow. I don't know. I reckon Streco's got a real point to prove here and a real chip on his shoulder about winning this event. So it starts on, I think, Thursday and runs through till Sunday. It's probably not optimum... GDR conditions because it's fairly speed limited with rally safe chicanes I think in some areas where you have to, on some of the long straights you have to um, obey a GPS speed limit or cop a massive penalty. So yeah I'm not sure how the, all of that extra power that Streco's got is going to work for him but he is a good 200 horsepower up on anyone else in the event and you know I think from what I know I've tuned quite a few cars in the event either remotely from interstate or locally on our dyno. So that's going to be one to really, really watch out for. Oh, look, I'm pulling up next to uh, alongside an 86 with big 86 numbers on it and some beautiful um, K 
cartoon shadow cutouts of Transformers. How very, very 86 of you. So no, we'll give a full report on um, the Adelaide Rally, or whatever it's called, uh, in the next Epicast, and we'll see how the boys go. So until then, stay tuned, and thank you once more for listening to Arrange Anxiety.